What are we to think of this day of Pentecost, when the disciples, the Christians, were all there together, and there was a violent wind, and tongues of fire rested upon their heads, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think that if we were honest with ourselves, if we had been alive back then, we would have reacted in the same way everyone else did. They're crazy. And ask the question, what does this mean? What do these things mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we see what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the way that the Spirit manifests himself on that first Pentecost. The Spirit comes like a violent wind. Tongues of fire appear on the disciples' heads, and they begin to speak in tongues. One of my best friends grew up in New Orleans and was used to hurricanes uh, that would come through, and he has since moved to New York City, and so when Hurricane Sandy came around, uh, he thought everybody was going a little bit overboard and overreacting, and some people were even evacuating Manhattan, and he said, you know, you evacuate New Orleans, we have a party. And so he thought nothing of it, but there he was in his high-rise apartment, and Sandy came through, and he decided to step out on the balcony, and when he stepped out, he said he was wholly unprepared for what he encountered, for when Sandy came through, all of those streets with those tall buildings created the perfect wind tunnels. And he stepped out on the balcony and he said the sound of the wind and how it felt simply overwhelmed him. He couldn't comprehend it. And all he could do was to stumble back into his apartment and seal the door and say, I don't know how to deal with this. And hunker down. And that is similar to what the disciples experienced on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came like a violent wind, something wholly other, something outside of them that came inside of them and dwelt in them. And this biblical idea of an outside power coming from outside that comes into you automatically sets Christians up on a collision course with the culture. Because what the culture says is that all of our problems are outside of us. But inside, you have what it takes to get things right, to get things together. But Christianity says the main problem that we have with ourselves in life comes from the inside. But our rescue, that which has the power to save, comes from the outside. There was a pop star recently that uh, was on stage, and I was watching a news clip of this, and she raised her fist in the air and said, whatever it is that you dream and aspire to be and do, you have the power within yourself to make it happen. But what the Bible teaches, and what Martin Luther echoes, is that our human nature is incurvitous in say, which is to say that our human nature is curved in on itself, that we're born self-interested, that we are going to pick ourselves over and against everybody and everything in life, that we ultimately pursue the self. 
and that we're so self-centered, we can't even admit that we're self-centered. And what happens in the world, and why are there are all kinds of problems in the world, is that there are lots of centers of the universe that are running around and colliding into one another. A couple months back, Lori Gottlieb, who is a therapist, wrote uh, an article for the New York Times Magazine, and she entitled it, What Brand is Your Therapist? And what she found as a therapist, and she was trying to investigate why it might be, is that in the past 15 years, 30% fewer people are visiting therapists. And there are lots of hypotheses, you know, are people just getting better? What's going on? So she interviewed some of her colleagues, one a Dr. Truffaut, and Dr. Truffaut said, nobody wants to buy therapy anymore. They want to buy a solution to a problem. Gottlieb goes on, There's, this is something Truffaut discovered in her own former private practice of 18 years, during which she saw a shift from people who were unhappy and wanted to understand themselves better to people who would come in, quote, because they wanted someone else or something else to change. She said, I'd see fewer and fewer people coming in and saying, I want to change. Gottlieb writes, from a branding perspective, the fix was simple. At professional networking events or in newsletters, her pitch went from, quote, I treat people with depression and anxiety, to, are you having trouble with difficult people in your life? Well, it's no wonder. We are bombarded with self-esteem. And how frustrating this must be. If all of our problems simply exist outside of us, then in reality, they'll never get fixed. Because you can't fix other people. But in fact, what we find is that our problem lies within. And the answer, the solution, comes from outside of us. And so, too, the fire rests upon the believers with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like tongues of flame. Now, when God would show up and manifest his glory presence throughout the Bible, most certainly in the Old Testament, he would often show up as fire. In Genesis 15, when he makes a covenant with Abraham, he is like a torch of fire. Moses in the burning bush on Mount Horeb. He comes down in fire and smoke on Mount Sinai. When he's leading the children of Israel out of the wilderness, he appears as a pillar of fire by night. And whenever God's glory presence showed up, it was intolerable, even fatal. But here we see on Pentecost that God's glory presence doesn't just come down and surround them. God the Holy Spirit actually inhabits believers and the fire rests upon them so that now every believer is a burning bush. How is that possible? How do you go from when God manifests His glory to depart from me for I am a man of unclean lips? I can't stand it. To actually God dwelling within you and manifesting His glory. Well, you remember when God spoke to Moses and said, I want you to gather the people. I want to make a covenant with them. And God knew what he was doing here on Pentecost because why everybody was in Jerusalem that day was to remember that. 
To remember when God made the covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, when he gave them the Ten Commandments. This is the day that they commemorate that. And there Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and the people gather around, and even after receiving the word, the people, they are frightened. They are terrified. They don't want to get any closer. They have Moses to represent them to go in. Lots of similarities to Pentecost. The fire, the presence of the Lord. Except that one of the major differences is that instead of saying, we don't want to get any closer, the people at Pentecost say, tell us more. Tell us more. What does this mean? This happens because there's a new man on the mountain. No longer is it just a mere mortal man like Moses going up to be an advocate, a mediator on behalf of the people. But God himself, Jesus Christ, doesn't go up Mount Sinai. He goes up Mount Calvary. And he dies for you and for me. So that chasm between us and God is now bridged by his death and resurrection. So that now God can dwell within us. And when the Holy Spirit dwells within the apostles, they begin to speak in tongues. Now, if you're a good Episcopalian, this is where you should get nervous. But it's not the sort of tongues that we see in the church today amongst Pentecostals. But tongues that everybody understood in their own language, where they had come from far. They heard of the mighty wonders of God told in their own language. And what were they saying? What was this message the Christians were sharing? Well, the Greek word used is megalia, which means the mighty works of God. The miraculous acts of salvation that God wrought, most especially through Jesus Christ. They were talking about the gospel to people from far and wide. They were hearing of what God had done for them in their lives by coming and dwelling amongst them and dying for them, and being raised from the dead. And they ask, what does this mean? And Peter says, I will tell you what it means. And it shall be, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death in the grave. That's what it means. Not only has God gone to such great lengths to rescue us, that it would cost even his life. He has gone to great lengths to let you know and to speak this word and person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to you, not just on Pentecost, but to you right now. That you might hear what Jesus has done for you and that he is mighty to save. That is what it means. That is what Pentecost means. A power outside of you that has come to rescue you. 
and that God himself has come and will dwell within you and make his home with you and that you might receive power on him high to become a son or daughter of God that he might save you and begin to transform you for your good and for his glory that you might too be a burning bush and manifest his glory to the nations. Amen.